Well, good morning. I love uh, walking in and seeing all of the Christmas decorations. Uh, I was talking with uh, Trista, and I said, let's sing Christmas songs because it's Christmas. And uh, so uh, that's why we sing. And uh, there is uh, this Advent Bible reading plan that you have been given, and I know that it's the second, and I know that there's 25 days, so maybe today you can read number one and two, but it's something that uh, I use, something that our family can use, your family or you as an individual, just as we look forward to coming to celebrating the birth of Christ, and uh, we can do that together and and, uh, be in God's Word. When you are leaving from the service today and you go into the lobby, we also have some cards that you will see, which has our theme, Hope for the Holidays. We've got a couple thousand of them, and they're not for you to hang on your, um, your refrigerator or in your window. They're for you to go give to people and invite them, because one side it invites them to church, the other side it talks about our Christmas Eve service. And so I don't know if there's a thousand out there today. Take them all. If you've got a business, put some out there. Give them to people and invite people. It's an easy way to say, hey, uh, I want to invite you to our Christmas Eve service at a time in our world where many, if they're invited, will come. So those are there. There's some, t- some ways that you can connect with people. But with that, uh, if you don't know me, uh, one thing about me is I love Christmas. I look forward to Christmas all year long. On my phone, I have a countdown for Christmas that tells me the days and the hours and the minutes and even the seconds I love the fact that in July I can go to Costco and they start putting up their Christmas stuff because I know we're almost there. But I love the songs, the lights, the trees. I mean, again, walking in here and seeing all of this in Christmas. Uh, I love gathering with friends and family. I love Christmas candy. I remember my grandma used to put this ribbon candy out at Christmas, and I loved going to her house because I'd go right for that candy. It was the best. The, the, the smells of Christmas, the cinnamon and the pine trees, all these things I just love about Christmas. And the thing that I love the most about Christmas, anyone want to guess? Jesus, that's a good answer. I always say Jesus, but I was going to say gifts. <laughs> but other than that, I always say Jesus. Uh, I love gifts. Uh, I, I was thinking of just, all, you know, I'm waiting for Christmas Day. I want to know what's in the box. I'd get in trouble because I'd try to peek and see what was in them. And I remember in 1986, uh, I was uh, 12 years old, and they came out with the G.I. Joe Tomahawk Helicopter. The pilot's name was Lift Ticket. This thing had everything on it. And I was like, I want that uh, as my gift. And I remember telling my parents and talking about it and showing them. And every time we go to the store, just staring at this Tomahawk helicopter. And I was like, I had this hope that it's going to be underneath the tree on Christmas Day. And so throughout the month, there's gifts showing up. And I'm like, that's not the right size. It's got my name on it, but it's not the Tomahawk helicopter. I know it's a larger box. And it came down to Christmas morning. And the way that my parents would have things is you were not allowed to leave your room at all until you got the green light from mom and dad so that they could have a camera ready and things there to go. And so what we would do is they'd get us gathered, my two sisters and I, and we'd be like shoving each other in the hallway, and then they'd say go, and we literally would run, knock each other over, we'd come around the corner, and there was always a gift that was like unwrapped. And uh, we'd come running around the corner, and there in all of its glory was that G.I. Joe Tomahawk helicopter. 
I was so excited, and that was like the best thing. And the only remnant of it left is some little rockets and missiles because the thing broke apart, and so my son Jonathan plays with those today. Now, when I think of Christmas today, and, and I think I just hope that I get a gift and uh, hope it's either a leadership book or a fish, some type of fishing gear. But I have this feeling and expectation and hope that I'm going to get a gift this Christmas. And my dad called me and said, hey, there's a gift coming in the mail for you, but don't. And I'm like, oh, great, perfect, that's awesome. At least I'm getting a gift. But I was thinking this week that many people in this world, even in the midst of all the Christmas joy and all the laughter and all the things going on, that they really don't have hope. There's a lot of people living in this world today that Christmas they long for and they hope it's like the, what it used to be in their mind. But then Christmas goes by so fast, the tree comes down, the lights get put away, and it's back to the humdrum of the day, right? And it's like, wow, where was that hope for that joy that I was going to have? It's gone. And the reality is so many people in this world are living day to day in darkness, and as we approach this month of Christmas and celebrating the birth of Christ, I want us to begin by looking at Isaiah chapter 9. In Isaiah chapter 9 today, it may be a familiar passage. And as we look there, the big idea is this. Jesus is the only hope we have for shining light into the darkness of our hearts. I'd like to read to you Isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 through 7. It says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior and battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The Word of God. Father, I pray that in this moment together, as we spend it in your word, that you would speak to our hearts. And Holy Spirit, that you would remind us of the hope we have in Christ. And for any who are here without hope today, or their hope are in things this world that are fleeting, may they come to hope in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We ask for a blessing on the reading and the preaching of the word in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look to the text this morning, I want you to look at verse 1, and the first point is living in the misery of darkness. Think about a moment when you, you have experienced great darkness in your life. Have any of you been to the Lewis and Clark Caves before? A couple years ago, I had the opportunity, and we went as a family, and I'll say I don't have to go back again. 
If you, if you haven't been there, there's a part where you go into the cave, and imagine, again, I've got five children, my wife and I, and there's like drop-offs. They're like, watch out, because if you fall there, there's no coming back. And you get to this part, and they're like, hey, everyone gather in close, we're going to turn off the lights. I don't like that. I was like, they're like, you can't see your hand in front of your face, and it's true. And I'm like holding on to my kids with like a death grip, because I'm afraid they're going to run off in the dark and be gone there. What's even crazier is, is, is a number of years back, we were in Indiana visiting family, and we went to these Indiana caverns, and we went down into them, and there's this underground uh, river. Let's go see the river underground. And so we get in this boat, and you're riding in the boat, you've got life jackets on, and they're like, we're going to turn off the lights. I'm like holding on to my kids, you know, I'm like, this is just crazy or whatever, but you really can't see well. But have you had those moments where you're groping around the middle of the night or, or something where the, light, the electricity goes out, you can't feel the door, the light switch, and you bang your foot into something? Or what about those nights when you're sick or you're in the hospital and you're just praying that the sunrise would come up? There's a picture here when we read Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, that there is a darkness for God's people. Look at verse 1. It says, But there will be no gloom for who was in anguish. Some background on what's happening here is Isaiah is speaking the word of the Lord to the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel was living in gloom and in darkness. They were suffering. They had lost hope in God. They had even come to the point where they hated God. They were disobedient to God. They were stubborn, or as the Word of God says, that they were stiff-necked. <clears throat> Some of them had believed that God had abandoned them and the reality is that God was disciplining his people because they were sinful and they worshiped other idols that were within the land. I'd been reading through First and Second Kings over the last month, and it's amazing to see that time and time again that God would do a work and he, there would be another king and there would be evil kings and there would be good kings, but there was always these high places where they had idol worship going on. And even when the good kings did what God called them to do, it said, but they didn't get rid of the high places. The nation of Israel worshiped other gods, and God is a jealous God, and he was therefore then disciplining his people, and they were living in darkness, even questioning and asking what happened uh, to God's promises of hope. And what Isaiah does is he tells them that you're going to be oppressed and enslaved to the Assyrians. The Assyrians will come in. And if you go back to chapter 8, verse 22, it tells you how bad it gets for Israel. It's, Isaiah says, And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. <clears throat> and some of you might be saying, Wait, Pastor, this is Christmas time. Why are we talking about the darkness? We got the Christmas lights up. We've just been singing about the birth of Christ. Why are we talking about darkness and about gloom? And I believe that we must see. We must see how dark life is without Jesus Christ to fully understand this wonderful gift that God has given so think for a moment about the darkest moment of your life. 
the most struggling time of your life, that moment where it's almost like you're underwater and you can't swim up fast enough to get air. And it seems like hope is gone. That's the picture of the people. The people of Israel were longing for another King David who would be this great warrior and would bring peace and justice there. And so the people were asking, what about the promises of God? Have you ever heard about the promises of God in his word? Do you know that God is a God who has made promises and he fulfills and he keeps every single one? And God promised the nation of Israel specific things. You can go to Genesis chapter 3. If you go to Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, the first declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ is seen. It's right after Adam and Eve's sin. And God comes and speaks to them, and there's a cursing and a blessing. And in Genesis 3, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Genesis 3, 15. This is the first announcement, the first declaration of this great light, which Isaiah is speaking to and saying that this will come. And here in Isaiah, he is reminding them of that. If you continue through the book of Genesis, you'll come to a guy named Abraham. You know the story of Abraham? God promised Abraham some wonderful things. He said, I will give you a land. I will give you a great nation, a great people. And he says, all of the nations will be blessed by your offspring. Speaking of one to come, the great light, the child born in the manger. But here Isaiah says to the, to the people that they are living in darkness, even though that's happening, that God keeps his promises. Again, look at verse 1. It says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish in the former time. He brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. I want you to read Matthew chapter 4 this week and read verses 12 through 16 because Matthew tells us this passage in Isaiah, verse 1 of chapter 9, is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ lived in the same land that was spoken of. That was where the majority of his ministry was. And Matthew says that he fulfilled this and is that coming light. So the people of Israel lived in darkness. But they always had this hope for the Messiah. And the prophets spoke of the great light and the Messiah to come. There was hope in their hearts even in the darkest moments. And my attention was drawn to an article this week that brought me to a video that I saw. And there was a mother in India, and she had two children, I think ages 12 and 8 or 9. And she said that she was hoping for Sunday to come. And it caught my attention, and I read this article, and then I saw the video. And what she was hoping for is both of her children were born blind. And the article at the top said, blind children seeing for the first time. I was like, no way. Sounds like something Jesus does. And it goes on in this video, and it shows these children before their surgery, and they're blind. They're being led by their mother. They cannot see at all. They've been born blind. And then what happens is they both received a 15-minute 
surgery that someone paid for. And the video when they take the bandages off the children's eyes, I cannot explain to you the joy in them repeatedly saying, I can see, I can see. There's one part where the 12-year-old girl afterwards is outside and she's looking at these bushes and just looking at the detail of stuff that she had touched before. She could see. The mom's hope that they, their darkness would be brought into the light was fulfilled. And Isaiah points the people of God to the hope of the promise of the great light. Look at the second point in verses 2 through 5. Isaiah tells them a great light is coming. God has not forgotten them. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. And when we read this, these verses that talk about people walking in darkness, and we read it in the Old Testament, New Testament, what this is really speaking of is walking in darkness spiritually. Not that the electricity has gone out or the sun is not shining, but really the darkness of people's hearts because people are sinful, that all people are sinful. And the darkness of sin, Scripture tells us, blinds us. That if you're a Christian today, that you may not realize this, but the sin that you were born with, that you committed in your heart, blinded you from the truth of Jesus Christ. And, as a, and, and, and if it wasn't for the grace of God upon your life, you would not know the light of Jesus Christ that saves you from your sinfulness. And so Isaiah is prophesying a prophecy of hope that one day, he tells the nation of Israel, there is a great light who is coming. And these people longed for this great light. And if you read through the Old Testament prophets, if you look at the promises that God gave the nation of Israel, the promise was the great light, the hope for a Savior, the Messiah who would save his people, the one who would come and remove the darkness. So would you look with me at verses 3 through 5 here? In verse 3 through 5, it describes of the hope, the work that the Messiah brings when he comes. Verse 3, it says, You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joys. They rejoice before you as with the joy of, at the harvest. If you come up to my office, I'll show you. Um, this week I, I hung it on the wall. There's a picture of harvest time in the orange grove that I grew up on and my grandfather planted. That was the most joyful, happiest day of the year for my grandfather. It was not Christmas. It was not his birthday. It was the day that the oranges were picked and put in the bins. And I've got a picture of the, you can see the orange trees all the way down and you can see these boxes and they're filled with oranges. And today I can still see the smile on my grandfather's face. The joy of the harvest, of all the work that was done, was brought to fruition, and there was a great celebration and rejoicing in that. That's the picture of the joy that the great light brings for those who hope in Him. In verse 4 and 5, it says, For the yoke of His burden and the staff for His shoulder, the rod of His oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. 
Have you ever read or heard the story of Gideon? Judges chapter 6 and 7? Go read it this week if you haven't. Gideon is called by God to lead an army against a gigantic enemy, numerous people, and he's like, God, what are you talking to me? I'm some weakling guy of the least of tribe, of the least family. I'm the least of the least of the least. And he's like, hey, you're a mighty warrior. And through an amazing story, God, he starts out with this army and, 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 and of, of the people of Israel. And then little by little, God's taken more away and he shows up with just a few. And God gives them this great victory. And all they did was smash some lamps and blow some trumpets. And God brought a victory. This is the picture of the light coming, the hope in the child born in the manger that there would be victory because this child, the promised hope, is the great conqueror, the one who is the hero, the one who will defeat the enemy. And so in verse 4 and 5, we see that Isaiah points them to this future mighty deliverance of God's people from slavery and captivity, but more so the peace that would come to all who believe in the Savior today. There's so many people, maybe you know, in your places you work, your neighborhoods, wherever you're at, there are people that are not at peace in this world. And they have so much trouble in their hearts. And they're living in darkness. And for them to say, hey, there's someone that brings eternal peace to them. They're thinking, oh, just that the wars are going to stop and this is not going to happen anymore. No, they don't see. They need to hear that there is one who has come that can bring peace to their hearts and bring peace to this world. And so Isaiah tells them the work that this Savior will do. But now let's look at verse 6 and 7. Because Isaiah describes who this person is. This is the passage that you may be familiar with at Christmas, and you hear it in the songs, and you read the verse, and, and when we got to it a few minutes ago, you're like, oh, yes, wonderful counselor. Let's go there. Isaiah says this in verse 6 of chapter 9. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I'm not sure about you, but when I read that, there's joy in my heart, there's peace in my heart, there's thankfulness, because that means so much. Those names really stand out, and not just because it's Christmas time. It says, to us a child is born. Do you understand? And, and, and when you look to the manger, do you see that in the child born in a manger is our salvation? And it says, to us a son is given, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is a gift to you and to me, that God gave us a, a gift, if you want to say a Christmas gift, but the greatest gift that he could ever give, Jesus Christ. And not only are we given a son, Jesus Christ, but really, in reality, just as we are singing, this child, this son, is God. God gives himself for us to save us. We were just singing Emmanuel, right? 
In Matthew chapter 1, in Matthew chapter 1, we have the account of the birth of Jesus Christ, and specifically, uh, there's an angel who appears to Joseph, and this is what he says in verse 21 of chapter 1, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. The child in the manger is just not some baby born that grows up to bring us salvation. This is God Almighty himself giving himself for us to save us and make us his own. And so God's gift of salvation is to rescue us from the darkness of our hearts, the sin of our hearts. And that baby grew up. Jesus Christ walked this earth being fully God, being fully man, and he tells the people that he is the great light. He says in John chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Just as Isaiah said, the great light is coming, Jesus says, I'm here. I am that light, the great light. And whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. But look at what Isaiah says, the description, the name of the child who is born. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Look at those four titles for a minute. Wonderful Counselor. When you think of Wonderful Counselor, I want you to think of the word wisdom. How many of you would say that you are wise? How many of you would say, I'm as wise as Solomon? Well, Solomon was the wisest man according to the word of God to ever set foot here on this earth. But someone who is greater than Solomon and has greater wisdom is the wonderful counselor. The people were amazed at the wisdom of Jesus Christ when you read through the gospel that this child who is born that is given to us has the divine wisdom of God. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2 It says, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Jesus Christ is our wonderful counselor. The second title, though, is Mighty God. When you think of the word Mighty God, I want you to think of the word power. Think of the word power when you think of his name, Mighty God. This child born in the manger is the Mighty God who has given us life and breath, the one who has conquered the enemy. He is Lord God Almighty. Jesus says in John chapter 10 that he is the great shepherd, and as the great shepherd, he is mighty God because no one can steal or remove from his hand his people. Not Satan, not no one. He is mighty God, and he's mighty God because Jesus is the one who's conquered Satan, he's conquered sin, he's conquered death, Jesus Christ died, right? I mean, we need to move from just looking to the manger and looking to the cross. 
The manger is great. We celebrate the birth of Christ, but you've got to look beyond that and look to the cross where Jesus Christ bled and died. His blood was shed for you so that you, through belief in him, could be saved and set free and brought at peace with God. And he died, and he was placed in a tomb, but three days later, what happened? Man, you guys mumbled on that this morning. We should rejoice on that. What happened on the third day? He rose again, mighty God. That's the gift that's been given to us. Deuteronomy 10, 17 says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. The third name is Everlasting Father. Maybe circle, highlight this, the word everlasting. A loving father cares for his children. A loving father has great concern for his children. When you're in a crowd, you're looking for your children to make sure they're near you. When you've got five children like me, I'm like, man, do I've got five? One, two, three, four, five. All right. And then one, two, three, four, five. You know, it's like around a swimming pool, whatever. It's like you have great concern for your children. This is the picture of the child in the manger, the Savior, everlasting father. One who would care for his people. Psalm 103 Verse 13 says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. But then it says, the fourth name, the fourth title is the Prince of what? Prince of Peace. The child born in the manger, the great light, is the Prince of Peace because he has all wisdom, all power, and is everlasting. And that child, as we've been reflecting on this morning, is Jesus. And Jesus is the only one who can grant anyone peace. You cannot do anything, say anything, act in any way to have peace with God apart from faith in Jesus Christ. You cannot read enough books be spiritual enough, pray enough prayers, go to enough church services and think that that's going to bring you peace with God. Only by confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believing in your heart that God raised him from death to life, he will save you. I was reading in Mark and in chapter 4, there's this story, account. Uh, of Jesus and the disciples, and they're in a boat, and Jesus is sleeping. And the wind comes up, and the waves. And the disciples, they think they're going to die. Hey, you wake up, Jesus. No, you wake him up. We're going to die. They wake up, Jesus. We are dying. And it says, he stands up and says, peace, be still. And then just calmness. And they're amazed at Jesus They worship Jesus. Philippians chapter 4 says, hey, if you're struggling with anxiety and worry and you have no peace in your life, you can go to as many counselors as you want in this world. You can read all the books that you want about how to get rid of stress, but you will never have true peace apart from Christ. Philippians 4 tells us, that Jesus Christ is the one who gives us peace that surpasses all understanding. And again, that only comes by faith in Christ. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Look briefly there at verse 9. Of, I mean, verse 7 of Isaiah chapter 9. The last verse here that we look at guarantees, guarantees your hope in the great light, the child born, the child given. It says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. When you read through Scripture, when God says he's going to do that and you see him do that, you see the zeal of God. You see that God is for God. He is for His glory. He's going to accomplish His purposes. And when He says that He's going to do things and He promises them, and you read in Scripture that He does it, it's amazing, it's awesome, it's astounding. And here it says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And we know from reading in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and what the apostles write in the New Testament that God has fulfilled this in the birth of the Christ child, Jesus, born in a manger. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And so I thought of these things as I reflected on those names. When you are in need of great wisdom in your life, you must remember that Jesus is your wonderful counselor. When you need strength for the day that you feel you just cannot get through and the attacks are coming, you need to remember that Jesus is your mighty God. And when fear and worry and death threatens you, you must remember eternity under your everlasting Father. And for those of you who are worried and filled with stress and anxiety and you don't know what you're going to do, of all things, you need to remember that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. As the worship team comes forward and as we prepare to take communion together and as we continue to sing praises to God, I just want to ask a few things. If you're here this morning and you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, my question simply is this. Are you, do you understand, do you see that you're living in misery and darkness in your life of sin? Do you realize or do you see the great hope that you need? I'd say this, turn from the darkness and turn your eyes upon the great light of Jesus Christ. Look to the manger and think, every time you see a manger this Christmas, you're like, oh, there's Mary and Joseph and there's the baby. And there's the, the, the shepherds out in the field. Oh, what a wonderful night that was. And, and then there was the wise men who came. Oh, what a glorious thing. Every time you see the manger this month, maybe it's that thing that you would be reminded of the hope in Jesus Christ, the gift that was given If you're one of those people that are living in darkness today, believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Believe that He fulfilled all that was prophesied and believe that He is the only hope for your life. And if you do believe, Ephesians 5.8 says, For at one time, at one time, it says, You were darkness. 
not just living in darkness, but you were. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. All of you in this room who are Christians today, all of you who have hope in Jesus Christ, you need to know you're no longer dark. You're no longer in the darkness. You've been brought into the light of Jesus Christ. Yes, we still battle with the old self, but you are walking in light when you were walking in darkness before. And you need to give thanks to God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You know, the Apostle Paul, if you read, when God came upon Paul's life, he was going to try to persecute and kill and imprison Christians, and God got a hold of him and blinded him. He's like, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus who you are persecuting. And God was very clear With the Apostle Paul, he says, I'm calling you out of darkness and into light so you can go and proclaim the hope so that others can then walk in the light. And I was reading in Acts chapter 17 that the Apostle Paul, he's there in the city of Athens and he's telling people, he's basically describing the people he's talking to and he he says that he's called out of this darkness to proclaim the, the, the hope to them and he's talking about people groping around in the darkness if you're a Christian you may be struggling today and have all kinds of worries all kinds of struggles all kinds of stress today but you have hope in Christ you know people though who do not have that hope And God has commanded his followers. He hasn't made it an option. He's commanded us because he's brought us out of darkness to light to go share the hope of the gospel. And here's what Acts 26 says. God said this to the Apostle Paul and to us as well in verse 17. At the end of verse 17, it says, To whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in, in me. People need hope this Christmas. Some people, they need Jesus and they need you to tell them and God chooses to use you and I to do that. Some of them you need to invite to your house. Some of you need to invite to church. You need to go simply take a card and say, hey, I want you to come to Christmas Eve with me. Some of you need to just speak to those people that you know are struggling and say, do you need hope today? Do you know I have hope in Jesus? Let me tell you about Jesus. Christians, that's what we're called to do. That's not to belittle any struggle you may have this Christmas, but that's what we're called to do even amidst the hardship that we walk in this life. Father, I pray that as we sing to you, as we take um, communion, as we remember not just the manger, but we remember the cross and we remember the empty grave, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would get a hold of our hearts. You would remind us of the hope and you would send us out to tell others. And Father, for any who are here that are far from you, I pray that you would save them today and become their hope. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the uh, 